following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your way. Thank you for your will. Thank you for the the glorious reality that you have sown us into this providentially. You've sown us uniquely, each one of us, different body parts in order to just accomplish your glorious plan. Each individually lights. Father, help us to take the bowls off and to live out loud as we just sang. Help us to shout it from the mountaintops. Help us to to declare your praises and not ours. Help us to to declare your kingdom and not ours. And and your will be done. Not not our will, but your will be done. Lord, we, we we believe that our greatest sacrifice is on the other side of those words. Not our will. That our greatest victory, that our purpose is realized on the other side of not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, Lord, please, Holy Spirit, help us to be pleasing in your sight. That, Holy Spirit, you would finish the work of writing your word upon our hearts, these soft hearts that you, thank you for taking our stony hearts, for being our cap and cornerstone, Lord Jesus, and building us into the, to this glorious temple, making us a part of everything that you're doing. Oh, Lord, that we'd have the faith and courage to die so that we could live. Lord, help us not to try to save our lives so that we would lose them, but help us to lose our life for the very thing that helped to find it, the gospel and for you. And we, uh, we pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would speak this morning, that you would work in each of our hearts individually to make it personally acclable, that it would just be practical for every single one of us and that you would um, that you would help us to live fully for your glory and fame and we thank you in Jesus name Amen so we sang some things this morning you are the sacrifice of great price don't you love that so true um, that, that you're more than enough you know I would say that if he's not more than enough, then whatever it is that you're wanting isn't for you. Right? Whatever like, is, is, that, that's lacking in your life, your perception, that, then, then maybe, there, maybe we just need to find our sense of satisfaction, contentment in Him. And maybe that's to be added to us if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. I, I, I was given this while we were worshiping this, this, this morning. And, and just a reminder, just a reminder, but I love this. Paul says in, in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness, don't miss this, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. That's what's revealed through the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the gospel. And when it's believed by faith, we are imparted that righteousness to be just to be with us, in us, to operate through us. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by, what do you believe the next word is? Faith. Faith. That's the big word this morning. A righteousness that is by faith from, from first to last. And the, the individual we're going to talk about this morning in our fearless faith theme, uh, talking about living faith, is the first person in the Bible that was ever declared righteous by faith. Do you know who that is? Noah. That's exactly right. It says that, backing up again, verse 17, uh, for in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, the righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. That's how anybody has any hope of being righteous. It is literally the gift of God. It is imputed to us. It says in Genesis 15, 15 verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited or imputed to him as righteousness. Anybody that's ever declared righteous, whether it's Elizabeth and Zechariah, that is just a statement that they trust God. Because righteousness is not something that is ours. It is, it's given to us as a gift. And it says, from first to last, just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. So um, what we're doing this year in a fearless faith uh, theme is the last Sunday of every month. Uh, we're setting aside our, 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 our journey through Luke, and we're looking at uh, the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, and we are looking at different biblical characters and why they are given this, uh, this being a part of the cloud of witnesses, the, the heritage, the legacy of faith that is in our, our past. Um, and, uh, and today that brings us to a guy named Noah. Noah. All right, so uh, if you would uh, do me a favor, as I'm diving into this, I want you to grab your Bible. Hopefully you brought your Bible with you. Uh, if not, grab one of those in front of you, and, uh, and I'm going to make it real easy on you this morning. You want to turn to the very end of Genesis 6. Genesis, first book in the Bible, turn to, to uh, the end of Gen- Genesis 5, in fact, and then we'll look at verse 32, and we're going to move on from there. But we're going to look at the life and legacy of uh, a man that's declared righteous, blameless among his generation, and most importantly, which I believe is what kind of fuels both of those uh, um, resume statements, is he walked with God, right? That's what chapter 6, verse 9 says. All right, so um, we start, though. So you're ready in, in, uh, in Genesis, but this, this whole message is coming out of the Faith Hall of Fame, is what we call it in, in uh, Hebrews 11 and verses 6 and 7. So listen, listen to what it says here. It says, and without faith, don't miss this, it is impossible Okay, so like, (laughs) what? So without faith, something is impossible. And what that is, is to please God. We cannot please God without faith, without trusting him, without believing that he exists, as verse 1 says, and that he, he rewards those who diligent, earnestly seek him. Right? Like, that, that we, we must, like, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For, it goes on to say, for whoever, whoever, anyone, for, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those 
who, they, like there's so many passages in the Old Testament. That's Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 13, who seek him with all of their heart, right? He, he says, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, diligently seek him with all their heart. Guys, are you seeking God with all your heart? I mean, that can be a challenge to us every single day. Are we, I mean, loving God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul? Are we seeking Him with, with everything that we are? Because oftentimes, whatever is in the way of that is a distraction or an idol. Like, are we, are we giving God, you know, it's, Jesus said, look, rather than worry about what uh, your needs are, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We just talked about how do, how, how do we come to, to, to righteousness? Faith, right? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things that you worry about and need, Jesus pleads and says, will be added to you. But do, do you believe He exists this morning? That's probably, that's probably, Yeah. Creation itself is evidence of God. Man is without excuse. But, but are you diligently and earnestly with all of your heart? Are you seeking this glorious, amazing, this pearl of great price that's worth selling it all to, 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 to give our lives to? Well, what is faith? Faith, well, Hebrews 1 kind of gets us started with a definition of faith. And the ESV says, now faith is the assurance The NIV says, being sure of what is hoped for. And the conviction, or the NIV says, the certainty of what is uh, things that that aren't seen. I I like how the Amplified puts this. Listen to what Hebrews 1 uh, is, uh, 11.1 from the Amplified's uh, version. It says this, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, and I like this, the title deed. Just think about that for a moment. Now, faith is the assurance of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality. And it goes on to say this, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. It is trusting God when it doesn't feel good, when it doesn't look right, when it's not... When it's counterculture, counter-nature, counterintuitive, when it just goes against what, what we believe is, is the... But we're, we're going we're gonna to take God at His word and we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. So, do you want to please God? Do you? Do you want to please Him? Well, without faith, it's impossible to do that. See, we, we can't do so without faith, particularly faith in his existence and in his promises to reward those who earnestly or diligently seek him. This reward, and it's interesting because if you study the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3 and 4, it's talking about that this faith kind of ushers us in to his rests and to his rewards, into an inheritance and then later, it, it, in verses 4 through 10, uh, excuse me, chapters 4 through 10, what, what, it's, what it's saying to us in, in a bigger context is it, it invites us into his presence. His, like it, the, the way it's, it's put, unlimited access. Like this is what faith, like 
promises and delivers. Right? And, and it's not just faith. It's faith in him. It's faith in his faithfulness and his attributes and his, and his character and his promises. And is that going to be easy? I mean, the narrow path, it literally distinguishes itself as the hard path. I mean, it's, it's always going to cost us something. It's always going to require uh, a, a, an all-in mentality. Faith is not a work that earns us favor with God, but genuine faith works in order to worship. Does that make sense? Genuine faith works in order to declare our love and adoration for this glorious God that we serve. James 2, 14 through 17 says it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and well-fed or filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it, is, if, it is, if it does not have works, is dead. It's not a living faith. And so we, we you know, genuine faith works. That's how I describe chapter 2. Genuine faith works. Like, what, do you think in Noah's day, as Noah was building a boat on dry land, what's a boat, and uh, that there was 40 days of rain and nights coming of rain, what's rain? Like, do you not think that that would have been a bit absurd to, the, to his context? And even to his own thinking and his own perceptions. But yet, he took God at his word and did what God asked him to do. I mean, Jeremiah, I mean, uh, uh, Joshua, like it must have seemed to a warrior kind of a little bit weird marching around a city and blowing trumpets. That's the battle strategy. Did it work? Right? Like, so, like, this is, this is the areas where we trust God. And we, and, we, and we operate in faith by the way that we live our lives. Like, you, your faith will be depicted. What you believe will always be depicted by the way that you live. And what you worship or serve. Verse 26 of that same chapter 2 of James says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, we'll talk more about that next week, but you take the spirit out of the body, right? It's earthly, right? So also faith apart from works is lifeless. Lifeless. So I, I want to read verse 7 because this is the emphasis of our morning together. And verse 7 goes on to say this. And it says this all the way through this, this chapter. It says, by faith, so-and-so acted on God's word. It wasn't just anything. They, just, they didn't just go out there and do stuff. They did what God told them to do. They were obedient, right? Which Jesus says, declares our love for the Father and for the Son. So it says, by faith in God, like faith in his heart and his promises and his, and his intentions and his attributes and character. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, that's so critical. That, 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 there wasn't any facts to walk out. There wasn't any, like, um, illustrations and I mean God was just telling him step by step this is what I want you to do it was not seen it says here in reverent fear right what is that 
that is, that is not terrified, that is in awe and wonder, reverence of, of, of this glorious God and who he is. It says, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So how did he condemn the world? Guys, when we live out the light and righteousness that's imparted to us by faith in God, what it does is it shines light into the darkness and it makes, look, when, when, Jesus, when the Holy Spirit illuminates his word into your life, when Jesus speaks his truth into your life, doesn't it kind of show you the, the areas that need to be changed? Right? And when we live for God's glory, when we shine for God's glory, what happens is it, it reveals the condemnation that's in the world. It, it exposes the darkness. And so by this one man that, was, that walked with God, blameless among his generation, right? righteous because of his faith, the, the, the world was condemned and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Just pointing out that righteousness comes by faith. I, I want to read um, a commentary um, as an overview for this because I thought it was just well stated. This is by Bruce Burton, and this is what was written. The number of those who remembered the, the God of creation, perfection, and the love that had dwindled down to one family. God's response to the severe situation was a last chance during which he had Noah build a graphic illustration of the judgment to come. Godly fear refers to Noah's love and obedience out of reverence and respect for God. Noah trusted that God would do as he said, bring a flood. And so he obeyed God's seemingly outrageous plan to build a ship. There's nothing like a huge boat on dry land to make a point. While the ark accomplished the saving of, the, of his household, Noah's faith condemned the world because it illustrated what the people's lack was. Those without faith faced God's judgment without faith. Those with faith were saved. Isn't that still true today from first to last? While Noah believed God and was willing to sacrifice his reputation and public standing, the people around him were only interested in pursuing their selfish lusts and passions. As a result, Noah became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah is the first person in the Bible to be called righteous. To say that Noah was righteous and blameless does not mean that he never sinned, though. Rather, it means that he wholeheartedly loved and obeyed God. For a lifetime, Noah walked step by step in faith as a living example to his generation and future generations. I thought that was good. So my question is, have we been given a mission? Have you been given a mission? I mean, I mean Noah was given a mission. And it was meant to be to, to, to reveal the darkness, right? To, to, to demonstrate the righteousness of God. Aren't we given a very similar mission? The mission really hasn't changed. God still loves the world. And he sent his one and only son that, 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 that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. To die in our place, to, to, to be sacrificed for our sins. And, and the mission is this, for, for us to be witnesses. 
Like, and I'm going to give you power to do it and to be, to be disciples, uh, disciple makers, to teach what I've taught you. And I'm going to be with you to do it. How good is that? Like, he's just wanting, he's just wanting us to partner with him in this mission, just like, just like Noah did. God was going to do it. That's our confidence. Our confidence is, I mean, by no means are we going to say, oh, I got this, God. I'll, I'll check in later. No, we, we walk with God in the mission that he's given us. It's a relational statement, right? He walked with God. So here's our mission. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and in the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 says, but in Matthew 28.18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, now this, do you know these are the last three verses of the gospel of Matthew? The last three, this is it. Jesus wraps it up in this particular gospel with this. He says, Jesus came to them, came and said to them, all authority by my father, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of it. I've got all the authority here now. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He sends out his servant warriors, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like, I'm with you in this. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're, you're going to, they hated me. They hate you too. Like, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be insulted. Do you think that, that Noah got any sort of ridicule for what he was doing? So let's look at the legacy of Noah, his faith legacy. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's start in the last part here of Genesis 32. Now, I, I want to, do you know who, who uh, Noah's grandfather was? Methuselah, right? Uh, you might know that name because he's the man that lived the longest. He lived 969 years. Yes, 969 years. The Bible said it, I believe it. So like 969 years, this is his grandfather. What's interesting is Adam, if you chart this, all of the lives, when Adam was 130, he gave birth to Seth. If you go all the way down, chart it all the way out, Adam lived all the way into Methuselah's life. Right? Noah's grandfather, right, literally knew Adam, right? Here's an interesting fact. The, the name Methuselah, ancient language, right? He, he obviously was given his name at birth. Do you know what his name means? It means until the judgment. Do you know Methuselah lived right up to the flood? That's what his name meant. That's what he was given at birth. Interesting, isn't it? And then at the age of 182, Noah's dad, Lamech, who lived to be 177, gave birth to Noah. Now, it's interesting. If you look back through chapter 5, it says when so-and-so was 80, when so-and-so was 105. I mean, they're random numbers, 69, on and on and on. But when it gets to, when it gets to Noah in, uh, in verse 32, it says after. It's the only one. It says after Noah was what? 500 right? He had three sons. Now, they weren't, they weren't triplets, because later we find out that they had different age, ages. But the point being is, God was about to be fed up with humanity. Fed up. We see it in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. 
He says, I will not uh, contend with man any longer. His days will be 120 years. This is not the time frame till the flood because Noah was 500 and then he was 600 when the flood waters came. This is now the, 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 the God's putting limits on lifespan. Why? It's an act of mercy. To live, because look, think about it. What's going on right now in that same passage, it says, the, his generation, Noah's generation, it says, every thought was only evil all the time. Continually, the ESV says. Oh, every thought. And so it says that God grieved. One translation says regretted that he had made man. And then it says this, it broke his heart. It broke his heart. Let me fast forward for just a moment. We get to the end uh, uh, in chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we see this same sentiment from God. In chapter 9, God now has seen the destruction of of animals, all land animals. Interesting, sea animals were unaffected. Um, Land animals and people. I mean, can you imagine the scene? God shuts up the ark and the floodwaters come. They they were on the earth for 150 days, solid to 21 feet above the highest peak mountain on the planet. And people are are dying. But but think about this just for a moment. Just just think about this. What's it going to look like when Christ comes back? When the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings comes back, who has stated over and over again that the church is declared for for, for thousands of years, Jesus is coming back for his bride. He's coming back. Be ready. Repent and believe. But what about when he comes back? Malachi says it's the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He's coming back with fire and judgment, as we talked about recently. And, and then it says, back to Genesis 9, it says again that God was brokenhearted over this moment where sin had its full effect on his creation. Do you know what that reminded me of? I bet that was the same posture and disposition he had as he watched the crucifixion. Where he poured out all the wrath on his son that was due man, humanity's sin. And it just it's why Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. Because death is the wages of sin. It breaks the heart of God. It's important that we know that. You know what I believe? The reason that God said man's not going to live more than 120 years. Interesting. As, as they get off the ark and, and continue to kind of, you know, life goes on from Noah's eight people came. The, we're all descendants of Noah, right? All of us, right? Like that, that going forward that lifespan slowly diminished. How long did Moses live? 120 years. Right? Abraham, 175. But but it slowly diminished right down. But did you see the wisdom of God in this? Like every other parent in the Bible, in in, in the uh, the Genesis 5 account, every other parent had their kids pretty, I mean, in context to their age, their, their, their lifespan, pretty young. Right? 60, 90, young. And, and Noah, not till 500. Isn't that interesting? Just like other patriarchs. Sarah. Right? Rachel. Elizabeth and Zachariah. 
And I think the wisdom here is this. If these boys are now only going to live a shorter lifespan and Noah's going to need them to help build the ark and they're going to do a unique purpose in repopulating the earth, I'm going to need them around. But you you could just see all the, the wisdom of God unfolding and how he does all of these marvelous things as we look into the text and understand like the lifespan or, or the, the, the legacy of faith in, in Noah's life. So Noah, like other patriarchal parents, uh, was late to the game on parenting, right? Um, so we see it in Genesis uh, 5.32. And now Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And these are the, these are the, the fathers of, of all the nations that would populate the planet on the other side of the flood. Do you know, guys, interesting, interesting, I don't know if you did this. I watched a documentary a while back, loved it. This guy went around and he researched in every single ancient culture that is still with us today, a lot of them Oriental or in the Asian uh, continent. And uh, do you know they all had a flood story in their, in, their, in their ancient history? All of them, without exception, has a flood story. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Right, But Noah's story contains two tragic floods. Did you know that? That there was two. One was the flood of wickedness, and the other one was the flood of water. And they were related, right, from God's perspective. Well, let's look at verses 5 through 8. It says, the, Lord's, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So this isn't as bad as it's ever been, right? And, and you know, a lot of people say, well, how can a God who is love, merciful, kind, loving? Let me ask you a question. Um, is a just God loving and kind? Absolutely. If he wasn't just, he wouldn't be those things. And from my perspective, let's look at the different cultures, Right? Egypt, Canaan says their sin is not reached there. It's full, full uh, stage yet for their discipline. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Jer- Israel from Assyria and Babylonia. I mean, you know, 722, Assyria comes into the northern kingdom. And in 586, here comes Babylon. What's the purpose? Discipline, right? God, God will discipline... God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows, right? Like we, we must understand from God's perspective, it's merciful because what he, he does everything on behalf of the elect. And so if in a body of, of people, there is a cancer, what do you do? You cut it out. That is a, that's an act of mercy. We, we, have to, we have to acknowledge the fact that God is still very serious about sin. But then we must also at the same time remember that Christ took our full punishment for ours. And that should move us to radical worship, gratitude. And that worship should be living sacrifice. It's not just singing a song. And I'm not going to discount singing songs because we should. It's, it's a, it, we, praise is a part of victory. It's a pathway to it. But, but our lives in response to what God has done for us should have that expression right and because we are imputed righteousness we are gifted we are gifted to walk in righteousness right living uh, from god's perspective 
So every thought was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animal, the creeping things, the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. I am sorry. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Grace, favor. This again, faith, faith. So in verse 9, it goes on to say, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. We've talked about that. Blameless in his generation, right? That's that's an expression of his righteousness. But then it goes on to say, and Noah walked with God, which I, I mean, that's, that's, that's a relational statement. He walked with God. And that is the source of his righteousness and blameless. And I will say this, it wasn't, pretty, it wasn't difficult to be, to be righteous among that generation, right? Um, but, but that's the extent of righteousness. Now, if you count back from creation day one, and you, you do all the numbers that are given to us uh, through the, the, when people were born, and you map that, which I've done, I've penciled it all out. We're talking from day one of creation, this is 1569. Okay, so that's how long it took for, for, for humanity to get to this state. Almost 1,570 years. And they are just depraved. But isn't that the condition of man's heart? Listen to what it says here in verses 11 to 19. Now the earth was corrupt in, in God's sight. And the earth, probably not in man's sight, and, and the earth was filled with, filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. And for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. There's the source. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So when culture becomes corrupt, God brings consequences, right? I mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt, Canaan, the list goes on. It is a cancer to creation, and God is the great physician. It is both justice and mercy. Both justice and mercy. So God goes on to say this in verse 14. He says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Nobody has been able to determine what gopher wood is. Some, some tr- translations have used the word, the wood cypress here, but gopher wood, we don't know. But it was obviously a, pr- a prevalent and available wood. Um, and it says, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, what is pitch? Pitch is, uh, there, it's a tar pit. That uh, Basically what it is, is it's liquid asphalt um, that, that is available uh, throughout the, the ancient world. And uh, this would be this would basically waterproof. In fact, um, boats uh, up until very recently would use that in order to seal the boat. So this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubics. What's a cubic? Okay, so to understand a cubic, it is the distance from the tip of your fingers to your elbow, and it's, it's averaged out to be a, 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 a foot and a half long. Uh, later on, you'll see with the tabernacle, a span. A span is from the tip of your pinky to the, to the tip of your thumb. That's, so they were able to kind of gauge those things by this. The Egyptians made it pretty accurate, though. And this boat was 300 cubits. You know what that means in feet for us? 450-foot boat. So that's a football field and a half long. 
okay? It's 75 feet wide, right? So 50 cubic. So it's a football and a, f- and a half wide. And how many stories? Three levels. Each level 15 feet. And then there's a roof on top that's another cubic, right? That spans the whole boat. I think I put a, did I put a slide in there somewhere, Mary? Yeah. So just, just to get an idea. Now, if you're really interested in this, one, Liberty University built one of their education buildings to the same square footage of it. And you, it's massive. You just have no idea how big this is. But if you really want to see the act, there's a, there's a place in Kentucky where you can go and actually walk inside of, a, of, of uh, an ark that's been built, uh, literally made. So, but that's the scope of this, of this vessel. Huge, covered, covered in pitch. So I did a lot of research. So there's been many explore, explorers that have gone to, it's modern day Turkey, right? Mount Ararat. There's a, there's a large, larger mountain and a smaller mountain. It's on extreme eastern uh, edge of Turkey. Uh, it's snow capped and it's highly protected, right? But there have been many uh, folks that have gone and explored. There, I found pictures of guys that were sitting inside of the, the you know, they, they've, uh, they've gone in and excavated it, and they've, they're sitting inside, and you can see the planks of wood. They're standing next to it. They take a picture. They, they've got, now they've got, now keep in mind, most will say, uh, you know, we're not really sure, and I think that's a good posture to take, but, but they've taken, they've taken uh, pictures from satellites of this, They've used technology to kind of actually look inside of the mountain, but they've taken pictures from satellites. And the thing that, for me, that makes it pretty interesting is that when they point it out, it's exactly 300 cubics long. I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know. But our faith, our faith isn't based on those things, right? But it, it's interesting that, that, you know, here we have these, these, these remnants of, of God's faithfulness and God's provision uh, verse 6, make the roof of the ark and finish it to a cubic above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Uh, make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of water upon the, the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And it translates land. But I will establish my covenant with you and my promise my eternal promise, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing and of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Now, interesting, um, how many clean animals were brought into the ark? Do you remember this? There, there's seven of each, uh, seven pairs of clean animals. Now, what's a clean animal? Well, in Jewish understanding that these are animals that are within their diet code, right? But it's bigger than that. Because when we get to the end of this story, Mo, I mean, Noah is told that all, every animal is free for you to eat. All, all, it's all, now they will have dread of you. So now we, what we, thing, one thing we understand is, is that animals did not fear each other or people until after the ark. That's, that would be pretty helpful when you're living in pretty close quarters, right? And uh, all their food was brought on. Moses did this over a period of 100 years. It says he was 500. When he, after he was 500, he had the boys. So somewhere within that, that range, at, 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 at Moses' 600th year, the, the floodwaters came. And so that's important to know. Um, but what's also interesting is that there was another set of animals that, that was seven 
of each kind. Do you know what they were? Birds. Birds. All birds, uh, seven of every kind was, was, was on the ark. Um, but of the unclean animal, there was only one pair. Now, one, one of the things I want to unpack here, and, and it's, it's later in the text, but, but I just want to share this. It's interesting because he tells them that they can eat of, it's no longer are you eat, to eat just the plants, but it's all, and I think that's because our lifespans were, were shortened and it wasn't, it wasn't going to matter that much anymore. Um, and, but the other, the other thing is, is why seven of the, of the clean animals? One of the things we find in, in chapter 9 is the, the moment that, that Noah gets out of the ark, the moment he gets off, do you know what the first thing he does is? Worships. He worships. Like he, he literally builds an altar and sacrificially worships the Lord. I believe these animals were set apart for the purpose of worship. It says an aroma, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now, how, how long do you think they were in the boat? Because a, a lot of folks just assume 40 days and 40 nights, right? One of the things we said earlier is that it had never rained on the planet. A mist came from the earth. And so it had never rained before. And it literally rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's, it's interesting because it talks about the, the, where the rain, where the, where the water came from. That it, did, it says it bursted forth from the, from the springs or the fountains of the earth, but it also says that, the, that it came down. Like, so I, I want to take you back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, one of the things that we're told, and sometimes we just kind of move through details without really thinking it through. In Genesis 1, when, 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 the, when the name, older translations uses heavens, because there's three heavens in the Bible. You know, he, John talks about being caught up to the third heaven. So the first one is sky, our, our sky, and then the universe, and then God's abode. And in Genesis 1, what it says is, he says that he separates the waters from the waters. And he talks about what the expanse between the two waters are, and he calls that sky. So arguably half the, the water on our planet at one point was above our atmosphere. Now, can you imagine how, 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 and they've done massive research on this, how much that would help the effects of the sun on the earth and its destructive forces, all the, the, the different you know, impacts that the sun has. And what it also caused is, and I'm not going to get too far into this, but I encourage you to look into it. It, it, it caused atmospheric pressures that actually caused plants, animals, everything to thrive. It's why a lot of sports teams have what's called a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, if you go to Epcot, Epcot has this massive like hyperbaric chamber that they grow plants in. They have 15-foot tomato plants, tomatoes like this, right? And, and a lot of these sports athletes and, and, and franchises will have hyperbaric chambers because they believe it what? It expedites healing, Right? And so this is a part of the reason that lifespan, I believe, but what happens in the flood is all that water <laughs> comes down. And all that I believe that that created and aided in, in lifespan, in per, all of that came down with it. It was another part of the consequence of the fall. And, uh, and so all this water came down. In, in, I mean, can you imagine? It's a global flood. It's clear in the text. It's global, not regional. 
that, that the mountaintops were covered up to, it gives cubics, but about 21 feet, I mean, covered. And it said that it's sustained for 150 days. 150 days the water remained on the earth. And then it starts to subside, right? Do you know that, that, that they didn't get off the ark until a year and 10 days later? Now, I want to tell you a, a, just a neat little story here because it points to a- Abraham's, uh, Noah's faith. So at, you remember the birds that he sends out? What's the first bird he sends out? The raven, right? And it goes to and fro. We, it doesn't really say whether it comes back or not. It just goes to and fro. And you get a sense that he goes to him, I mean, away from him back and, because there's no place to land. We find that later when he sends out the first dove. And then a week, these are all week intervals. And then a week later, he sends out the dove again. And the dove comes, like the first time he has to come back because there's nowhere to go. And then the second time he comes back, and what does he have in his mouth? He has an olive leaf right? So that's a, that's a pretty good indicator of what's happening on the ground, right? Because here they are, they're, they're kind of on Mount Ararat. And then another week goes by and he sends the dove out again. And what happens? Doesn't come back. Doesn't come back. So now it's like, oh, good. It's clear. Now, I don't know about you. At this point, they've been on the boat for 10 and a half months, right? It's, it says it right in the text. Been in the boat for 10 and a half months. Now, animals like you know, they got to go to the bathroom, right? they got to be fed. That's a lot of responsibility. There, there's a lot of stuff that we're p- pitching off the boat, right? Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's probably not smelling too good, right? I, I, I mean, uh, you ever been confined somewhere? I, I remember living in Spanish Wells, mile and a half by a half mile island. Man, I had rock fever. I wanted out, right? I mean, I can't imagine. Ten and a half months, you're confined in this place, you know, enamored by the fact that God is protecting you. But like, but you know that, that Abraham, I mean, Noah sits right there. And you know what he's waiting for? God's go. He waits for God's go. Man, do you ever find yourself getting impatient in, in, in what God's calling you to do or where he's calling you to go? And, and you feel like, look at the circumstances. Everything looks like it's ready for us to get off the boat and go and do what... And you know how long he waits? He waits seven weeks and three days. That's how long. I mean, do you think that there's anything in the scripture about us waiting on the Lord? And let me, let me ask a question. What does waiting on the Lord declare? Faith. It's one of the most incredible statements of faith when we trust God for his timing. Noah and his family, stuck. I would imagine the boys are kind of going, Dad, like today or what? Like, I mean, look, look, you know, let's go. And he's saying, no, not till God says so. Because that's literally what the text says. It says, then God said, go, be fruitful and multiply. And man, I believe they ran off that ark. He built that ark. He was excited, right? But, but, but they, he waited on, on God's go. And, and that takes me again back to Matthew 28, right? Therefore, go. The word means as you go in the Greek, but like as you're, it doesn't mean you have to t- get, you know, get off to Asia or to Africa. What it means is get across your street. Go, go. Like as you go, be heralds of the gospel. Did, think about it. Like everything that Noah was doing in, in, the, in the building of that boat, do you not believe that those, that was a absolute proclamation of who he trusted and loved? Every day, 
So what I'm saying is, is that his faith lived, right? He, he lived out his faith in a way that seemed completely counterculture. And do you think that our faith being lived out in our culture will seem obscure? And do you think that it will, it will, it will receive persecution and insult, as Jesus says, is the blessed life? But what does it look like for you to, to build the boat in, in your life? What does it look like? What does it look like to honor God today? What has is, what is the Holy Spirit been provoking you to do and you have been locked down, wrestling like J- Jacob? Like what is God asking you to build, to do, to live by faith what is, and, and guys, is it going to cost us something? It might cost us everything. But this is, this, is what, this is what transpired. God was saving a remnant of humanity, made in his image, and all the land creatures. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. You ever, you ever notice that every once in a while, especially it seems off of like China or the Oriental Coast, they'll, they'll pull up this prehistoric fish or animal, you know, like, because isn't it cool that, I don't know, it, that there was one aspect of God's creation that was unaffected by the flood, and, uh, and, and that was, and it's, and it's clear in the text. In verse 20, God says to bring the animals to Noah. And you know what's interesting? He also tells them to store up all the food. Is, is it's God who brings them? Like, if you read that, it's God who brings them to him, and it's God who shuts him up in the ark. Like, think about that. God being the one that provides. And isn't the ark a picture of the cross when we, now that we have this vantage point? Like, he, he was saved through an instrument of wood, right? And, and, and in the context of water, repentance, baptism, right? That we too, if we are in the cross or in Christ, that we are saved by the work of Christ, the righteousness of God, imputed to us by faith. It's an awesome thing. And, and this is the final point I want to make, is that twice in this, in this text, you know, and, and encourage you to kind of meditate some on chapters 6 through 9 today, but twice in this text, God asks some pretty big things of Noah. And you know what it says after each time? In, in this case, in, in chapter 6, verse 22, it says, Noah did this. And it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And that's, that's the first of two times where in Noah's life, that's what's stated of him. Wouldn't you love that to be stated of your life? That you did all that God commanded of you. What does that look like for you today? Listen to Jesus' words here in John 14. Because when we obey his commands, what is, how does God receive that? Listen to what Jesus says here. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. That's that's a continual word there, keeps. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him. And then it says this, and will show, reveal. Those are two other words that are used in different translations. ESV says, and I will manifest myself to him. You ever, you ever prayed the prayer or sung the song, show me your glory? You know, Moses' prayer on Mount 
Like, guys, Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. We sang a song this morning that when he, when he reveals himself to us, we're transformed. Do you know what the catalyst of that is? Man, obey him out of the motivation to love him. We, do, we earn nothing out of obedience. It's an expression of gratitude and worship. It declares love is what Jesus said. Listen to verse 40, uh, 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus clarifies. Verse 23, he answered him, if anyone, anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, God affirms Noah's obedient faith. And Jesus has clarified for us that that now what's the purpose of of God's word and God's will in our life? It's not for attaining righteousness. It's for demonstrating our love to him. That's why. We love him through our joyful obedience. And our attitude matters. Joyful. It matters. I, I want to... Um, Mary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with... Um, I'm going to finish with the Matthew uh, passage, um, chapter 24. So God makes a promise, right? Um, I, I want to I ease some conscience here for just a moment first. In, in cha- and you don't have to go to this, Mary, but Genesis 8.22, I love this. God, God says that, you know, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, speaking by water in a flood. But listen to verse 22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall never cease. That's God's word right there. So much for global warming. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we can stand on God's word. He said, he said it. I, I just thought that was good. All right, so um, I'm going to jump to the end here and, uh, and uh, you know, go to the notes, please, and, and study through this for yourselves. But listen, I, I want to now make the, the final point, and this is our segue into Easter. Um, but listen to what Matthew 24, this is Jesus' red letters here, right? Jesus is saying this, and he's using Noah as an example. He says, but concerning that day, talking about his return, and our, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Have you ever just kind of in your mind's eye thought about like what that day would have been when God shut up the ark? And like, I mean, we, we live in St. Pete, so like it, it, you get some of these rainstorms and all of a sudden we got floods on First Avenue South, right? I mean, or we get lake or, right here. But, but like this is, this is monsoon, 40 days, 40 nights, coming down from, coming up and coming down, same time, overwhelming, right? And, 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 there's, there's no more, there's, the door shut. Do you remember what Jesus said in the parable of the ten virgins or ten bridesmaids? He said, the door shut. Depart from me, for I do not know you. There's going to come a day where the door is going to be shut. He's told us this. The ark's going to be closed. 
The judgment is coming and that's it. Guys, does that not motivate you to unapologetically share the gospel? I read earlier, right in the beginning, Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Jesus said some pretty stark words here. He said, if you are ashamed of me before man, I will be ashamed of you before my father. Guys, I mean, like, we love to talk about the fun stuff, but man, come on. Like, there's an urgency here that, that, listen, listen to what he says here as he goes on. He says, For as in those days, speaking of Noah's days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And it literally does say a day. And they were unaware, unaware, there's a boat being built, right? There's a crazy man over in the, you know, but, but guys, it's irrelevant that they're going to have that perspective, Right? You know, I love, what is it, uh, Penn and Teller, right? He does, he did, if you watch this video, it's amazing. He, he basically says, I am an atheist. But he says, if you really believe that I'm dying and going to hell, if you really believe that, how much do you have to hate me not to tell me? Guys, what do you believe? Do you believe that at some point that the ark door is going to be shut? And if that's the case, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, listen to what this says. This is Jesus' words. They are eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Listen, listen, see it's underlined. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be at the grinding mill. One will be taken and one left. And then he gives this admonishment. He says, therefore, in light of all of this, stay awake, be diligent, be alert, be ready. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for your admonition, for your warnings, for your grace and mercy and provision. No one's going to hell because you want them to. They're going to hell because they reject you. They, they've turned their back. They've, they've, they've stricken their own name from the Lamb's book of life. But Lord, let that not prevent us from shouting out and declaring, Hosanna, the Lord saves. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, let that be the, the declaration of our hearts. Let that be the, 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 the purpose of our lives. Lord, that, that man... Let, let sharing the gospel be the way that we build the ark because we're pointing to the, to, the, to the cross that truly is the rescue, the instrument of rescue for each and every one of us. Lord, embolden us, strengthen us, give us a sense of urgency. Help us to practically do it by just inviting people to come to Easter service. Let us, help us to walk by faith in the things that we do and don't do, Lord. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.